Morning. You know, you know. How are you? Isn't that awesome? So exciting to see, uh, just see in action. You know, it's one thing to say that our church over the past 40 days has found ways to uh, be God's hands and feet in simple, small ways. And it's another thing to actually see it. And so, uh, so exciting just to see. So thankful that I get to be a part of a church where people give up their time, their energy to go love in our community with no expectations, no agenda uh, to simply be the hands and feet of God. So, so good. Well, if you are newer to Northbrook, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are wrapping up a series. Uh, this is the eighth week of our series, and this is it. We're wrapping up Operation Love Your Neighbor, and we're wrapping up this series uh, that we've called It's Bigger Than Us. Uh, we started this series with an idea, and that idea was that the kingdom of God is not just some place you go when you die, but the kingdom of God is here, it's now, it's available to us. Every minute of every day, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among us, and we have this opportunity to be a part of it, to be a part of the kingdom of God by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we steward God's love and his joy and his peace, his goodness, and by the way that we first allow it to change our own lives, and then from that, uh, be God's hands and feet in the world. And so at the beginning of the series, Pastor Mike uh, talked about that the importance of first letting God's uh, God's love transform us, allowing his goodness, his joy, his truth, his love to transform our own lives. And from that, the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to go out and allow God to work through us to impact other people. And so we talked about the power of our words. We talked about the power of our resources, our finances, and stewarding those. Last week, we talked about faithfully showing up in the world and being patient, realizing that God uh, is not in a rush like we are, but it's a slow obedience in the same direction. And now, this week, we, uh, we finish up, and I'm so excited as, we, as I share our, our last thought for you as it comes to this series. Hope you're ready. You ready? All right. Excellent. You're ready. So I officiate my share of weddings, and uh, I love it. Uh, officiating weddings, one of the favorite things that I get to do as a pastor. Uh, uh, weddings are so fun, especially when you're not paying for them. And uh, I, I think you can learn a lot about a couple just by observing what they choose uh, in a wedding. You know, everything is so thought out. The venue, uh, the colors, the favors, the food, who's invited, who's not, the DJ, Efficient, and of course, the wedding photographer. Uh, I've never been to a wedding where there wasn't a wedding photographer. I know that's shocking. Uh, if you ever go to a wedding and there's not a wedding photographer, and they're like, yeah, we just didn't feel like taking pictures, that's a bad sign. <laughs> wedding photographer, you just assume when you go to a wedding, I don't care who you are, I don't care how badly you don't like your picture taken, if you are in a wedding party, you're part of the family, you know when you show up, your picture is going to be taken. You just expect it. It's part of the deal. You show up, hopefully with a genuine smile, not a fake one, and you do your best, and you know there's going to be a lot of pictures taken. There's some things in life that you just, you just learn to expect. Pictures at weddings. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we flew. Uh, we, were, we were going somewhere. We were flying, and we don't fly a ton, so we were looking at different airlines and different options, and uh, we saw this one airline that had super inexpensive flights. And we were like, well, this is a no-brainer. Like, look at that price. Yeah. So we booked it. 
And then we're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to pay for our carry-on luggage? Wait a minute, we got to pay to pick our seat? And then you go, you know, and you get on the plane and you're like, yeah, can I get water? And they'll be like, well, that's $7. True story. And I was like, you know, I'm good. Four-hour flight, who needs water? And I uh, got to pay for Wi-Fi, got to pay for oxygen. No, actually, that was, inclu- that was included, now that I think about it. They're, they're working on how to make you pay for that. Uh, we didn't expect it, but now, see, now my wife flew last week with her sister. She was going to a, uh, a pastor's wives conference in Las Vegas. I checked, it's legit. Like, I, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, it's legit. Um, and they took another economy airline, but this time, like, they knew what to expect, right? Like, they, they planned ahead. They knew, all right, bring our own water. All right, the carry-on's going to be... Like, they, they knew what to expect. So much of life is about knowing what to expect. If you can expect something, you can plan ahead for something, you're more prepared for it, right? It's a, it's a basic concept of life. And yet I wonder... How many times, as followers of Jesus, do we go out in the world not expecting that God would work through our life. Not expecting opportunities to love the people we interact with. And yet, if you think about it, if we truly have the Holy Spirit in us, if God's presence is with us, and if his plan, like, like, like his main plan for the world is you and me loving and bringing his goodness into the world, would it not make sense to expect that we're going to have opportunities to love people as we go about our daily lives? Would it not make sense to expect that we don't need Operation Love Your Neighbor? We don't need a church to plan an event for us. All we need to do is live our lives expecting that God's going to bring opportunities to love the people around us. And it's not a matter of if we'll have them. It's a matter of if we'll see the opportunities and be courageous enough to take them. And so here's the last challenge as we wrap up this series. It's fairly simple. Here it is. Expect opportunities. Expect them. Expect that God is at work in our world, and every day he is going to give you opportunities to be a part of it. I didn't say that's easy, but it is simple. Expect that God is at work in our world, and every day he is going to give you opportunities to be a part of it. In Luke 10, Jesus tells a story. It's fairly well-known. It's one of those well-known stories in the Gospels. Um, and the story comes from a question that was asked. A religious expert asked Jesus, he says, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Like, basically, you know, what do you think I need to do to, you know, stay on God's good side? And Jesus says, well, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the religious experts love to debate. And so the religious expert saw an opportunity to get into a little debate. He's like, well... I mean, who really is my neighbor? Is it two houses down? Is it three houses down? I sure hope it's not four houses down. We don't like those people. And so rather than get into this debate, Jesus answers with a story. Jesus does this all the time. It's one of the things that made Jesus so brilliant. He says, well, a man is going down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and robbers attack him. They steal everything he has. They beat him up. They leave him half dead on the side of the road. And then Jesus says, a a Levite... And a priest, one at a time, come by 
Actually, I think it was the priest and the Levite. But either way, they come by one at a time. And Jesus says that when they see the man, they, they go the opposite side of the road. They get as far away from the man as they can and they keep going. And you know, if you grew up in church uh, and you've heard this story, I, I think sometimes we give the priest, the Levite, a bad rap. In fact, I've heard it talked about like, oh, they, you know, they knew religion, but they didn't know God and they don't, they didn't have love for people and they were heartless. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Jesus gives us a clue uh, that his Jewish audience would have understood as to what is actually going on. He says they passed by on the other side of the road. Why is that significant? I mean, they were alone. They could have just passed right by the guy. Why did they have to pass by on the other side of the road? What well, had to do with the Jewish idea of being ceremonially clean or unclean. See, in the Jewish society, there were certain things that you could do that would make yourself unclean. And once you became unclean, it was not as simple as washing your hands or taking a shower to become clean again. And so for these two religious men, if they became unclean, there would be a very long process that would take multiple days for them to become clean again. And they could not do their jobs in the temple if they were unclean. And one of the ways you became unclean was by touching blood or by being around a dead body. So if these men were to go and they were to help this man who's half dead and he were to die in their care or they were to get blood on themselves, they would immediately become unclean and they would be unable to do their religious duties at the temple. And so they make, the reason they go to the opposite side of the road is because they do not want to become unclean. But here, here's the point. For, for, here's what Jesus is saying to his audience. His audience understands this. What Jesus is saying is these two men had a really good excuse not to help. These two men had a really, really good excuse not to help. Now, while there were lonely stretches on that road, there were, that was also a popular road. There was, in Jesus' story, there's three men that eventually passed by. I'm sure they thought other, other men would pass by. They had a really good excuse not to help. Isn't it interesting that when you have opportunities to help someone, an excuse is not far behind? You ever notice that? Whenever you have opportunity, and usually, usually the more helping someone is going to inconvenience you or cost you money, the quicker the excuse comes along. You ever notice that? Is it just me? When we have opportunities to help others, it's amazing how quick we come up with excuses. Well, I'm busy. Well, I'm sure someone else will help them. Well, I don't know if they really need it. They probably won't be thankful if I help them. Right? All, I mean, so many excuses when it comes to helping others. Jesus says these guys had a really good excuse not to help the man. But then a third man comes along, the Samaritan. Now, immediately, Jew, the Jewish audience would be like, oh, a Samaritan. Jews didn't like Samaritans. They didn't get along with Samaritans. They looked down on Samaritans. Uh, for our context today, I think probably the closest we could get is if Jesus said a Vikings fan came along. <laughs> or maybe a Bears fan. Are there still fans of the Bears? Do the Bears play football still? I think. I'm sorry, Bears fans. I, I love you. No, no, in actual reality, here, here's the, the closest that I can get for you today. It'd be like, if think about that group that you really don't like. Maybe, they're, maybe it's that political party. Maybe it's that group of people that have signs and they, you know, they stand out on street corners. That certain group that, if you're honest, you really don't like. 
Or let me put it this way. For those of you that have sons or daughters, just imagine that if your son or daughter came home and said they were dating that certain person and you were like, ugh. Okay, that's, that's a Samaritan. Jesus says a Samaritan comes along and nobody on this road is out for a joyride. Okay? They, no, one on, no one on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is just out on a joyride on their, on their donkey for the, you know, just for fun. Samaritan has places to be. He has things to do. And yet Jesus says he stops. He pours oil and wine on the man's wounds. And then he takes the man, probably gets blood on his clothes. He's, the man's half dead. He places the man on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays, basically writes a blank check, pays the innkeeper and says, hey, you take care of this guy. When I get back, I'll pay whatever else I owe. Is very much inconvenienced. And then Jesus, Jesus says, so uh, who's the neighbor? It's kind of obvious, Jesus. And I love the religious leader's response. If you ever, if you read the Gospels, his response. The Jews dislike Samaritan so much, the, the religious expert refuses to say the word Samaritan. If you look at the text, he says, well, the one who had pity on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. As we go through life, if we expect opportunities, we're going to see them. And then the question is going to be, what's going to win, the opportunity or the excuse? What's going to win when you have an opportunity this week? To love someone in, in a small way or a big way. To help someone in a small way or a big way. It could be in your neighborhood. could be at work. could be in the grocery store. When you have a small opportunity to be God's hands and feet to someone, to love your neighbor, what's going to win? The opportunity or the excuse? Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. John 4, we see Jesus take this idea and run with it. John 4, there's another popular story in the Gospels. Many of us know the story well. Jesus is at a well, and a Samaritan woman comes out. And again, we've already talked about Samaritans. We already know Jews, Samaritans don't get along. Uh, this woman is a Samaritan, but she also has the fact that she's a woman working against her. Jewish rabbis would never talk to a Samaritan woman. And yet in the story, Jesus interacts with her, and she's kind of surprised that he's, at, he's talking with her. I'm sure she's never had a Jewish rabbi converse with her in her entire life. And so they have this beautiful conversation. For our purposes, we're not going to get into the conversation. It's this beautiful conversation. You can read it for yourself. But here's what I want you to, to notice. At the end of the conversation, Jesus' disciples who are gone, they come back from town. They've been buying food. And John writes that they're shocked. They're surprised that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. Why are they surprised? Because they would never dream of talking to a Samaritan woman. In their eyes, she wasn't even really a person. And so they're shocked. And it's so interesting that it, you can tell Jesus is so irritated with them because they're shocked that he's talking to the Samaritan woman. They bring some food and, and, and they're, they're like, hey, Jesus, you hungry? And it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever get irritated at a spouse, you know, and it's like, no, I'm not hungry. Jesus is like, nope, I'm not hungry. And they're looking around like, what do you mean you're not hungry? Like, did someone bring him food? Like, what happened? And listen to Jesus' words. 
Verse 34, he says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, knock it off. Open your eyes. That Samaritan woman is loved by God. And she's not an inconvenience. She's not an issue. She's not a problem. She's not a thing. She's a human being created in God's image. Open your eyes. You know, we all have people in our life that if we're really honest, we don't, we don't really see them as a human being created in God's image. They're a problem. They're an inconvenience. They're an annoyance. They're the bane of our existence. What would it look like to open our eyes? To see people not as inconveniences, but as opportunities to love. Oh, I get it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But I am saying that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. I recently heard about a man named Ed Payne. I love Ed so much. Ed lived in Huntingburg, Indiana. I think we have a picture of him. Ed was known as the Candy Man. For 15 years, Ed would often be found walking around town with a bag of candy, and he would offer a piece to anyone he would run into. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. If you told Ed, no, I'm good, he would say, well, if you're good, then you get a piece of candy. (laughs) He would offer smarties to people and tell them that that would make them smarter. And occasionally he would also offer (laughs) dum-dums to people. Ed would talk with business owners, young, old, anyone on the street, he would come up and have a conversation. It wasn't unusual for Ed to go through 60 to $100 worth of candy every week. When someone asked him why he did it, Ed, a follower of Jesus, replied, I love people, and I love to make them happy. Ed passed away July 2020 at the age of 84. But I love his story. And one of the reasons that I love his story was not only did Ed go into life looking for opportunities to interact with people and just share God's love in a really simple way, Ed planned ahead. I love that. Like, Ed planned ahead. He went to the store. He bought a bunch of candy. He came home. He grabbed his candy, and he went out. He had a plan. He planned ahead. He expected opportunities, but he also planned ahead for them. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to go out and buy 60 to $100 worth of candy, though some of you already have done that this week. What I am suggesting is what would it look like to not only expect opportunities throughout your week to love people, what would it look like to sit down and plan ahead? As you sit down, some of you are so meticulous to sit down and plan out your week, and that's great. Plan out all that you got to do. But what would it look like to also sit down and plan out opportunities to love people? To sit down tonight and go, all right, I want to write a card to this person. I know they're going through a difficult time. And this week I'm going to surprise this person with a coffee just to tell them that I see them. And uh, this day I'm going to show up at my neighbor's. I'm going to help them break their... Like, what would it look like to plan ahead? 
in simple ways. To share the goodness and the love and the joy of God with no agenda to the people in your life because you don't need Operation Love Your Neighbor. You don't need a, a, you don't need a program to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And what would it take for that to happen? For some of you, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it would take, and I'm going to put myself in this category. It would, it would require extra margin in your life. Because you run around at such a fast pace from thing to thing that you got to accomplish, you got all these tasks that you got to get done, you got to check off all the things. And quite frankly, if there was an opportunity to love someone, you just wouldn't have the time. In fact, the biggest excuse that most of us have for the reason that we don't do more loving others is we just don't have the time. So what would it look like to slow down and create a little margin for those opportunities? Maybe for others of us, it would require asking God to help us open our eyes and see people around us not as problems or inconveniences or issues, but as people. It would require us going into our weeks, seeing people as people created in God's image and not a problem or an issue or an inconvenience. And perhaps for others of us, it would require sitting down and planning ahead. Maybe we, maybe we have a, a week that doesn't include interacting with a lot of people, and maybe it's going to require some intentionality to create those opportunities to love others. As we wrap up Operation Love Your Neighbor, I want to end with one last story from the Gospels. This is probably my favorite, one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. Uh, and it's so easy to miss. It's one of the things I love about Scripture. You can read Scripture your whole life, and if you're not careful, there's so many layers to Scripture that you can miss what's going on. So Mark 5, Jesus travels across the Sea of Galilee, and he goes over to the region of the Gerasenes, uh, which is uh, an area called the Deca- also called the Decapolis. That's an important word. We're going to see that later. Um, and what's important to understand is, is Jesus is leaving Jewish culture, and he's going into the Gentile world. Most of Jesus' ministry is with Jews in the Jewish area. In this instance, he is leaving the Jewish area, and he's headed to the Gentile world. And so Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee, and Jews would have picked up on this right away in the story because early on in the story, there's this herd of pigs. Now remember, in Jewish culture, pigs were considered unclean. Jews would not eat pigs. They certainly wouldn't uh, be around farm pigs. So Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee... And right away, there's this fascinating individual. There's this naked, demon-possessed guy living in a cemetery. That's just crazy. And he comes out to meet Jesus, and Jesus has this conversation with him. And again, read the story when you have time. I'm summarizing. But essentially, there are many demons living in this demon-possessed guy. And eventually, Jesus casts them out into the herd of pigs. And the herd of pigs goes down into the sea and drowns themselves. Fascinating, crazy story. And so now, demon-possessed guy, poor guy, we never get his name, so we just, that's a terrible way to call him, so we'll just call him the guy who lives in the cemetery from this point forward. He's fine now, and he's dressed, and he's sitting. Well, people from the town come out, the owners of the pigs come out, and they're not exactly happy that they just lost all their pigs, and they don't understand what's going on. They're not Jews, uh, and so they, they're, they're frustrated and fearful. That's a, that's a scary combination when you're frustrated and fearful. And they tell Jesus, leave. Which is interesting because all throughout the Gospels, crowds are begging him to stay. But not this group. They say, Jesus, get out, leave, go home. 
And there's this interesting interaction that takes place between Jesus and the man who lived in the cemetery in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, remember that word, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So it's interesting, Jesus... Jesus has this opportunity to let this man follow him. All throughout the Gospels, people are constantly asking to follow Jesus. Usually, he, he lets them. Uh, and, and sometimes, he invites them. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus says, come follow me. Give away everything you have. And the rich young, young ruler can't do it. He goes away sad because he's rich. Well, here's an opportunity. This man's like, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, no. Which seems a little odd. Jesus says, go back and tell everyone, tell your family what I've done for you. And what's interesting is the man goes above and beyond what Jesus asked him to do. He doesn't just go back and tell his family. If you read the text, Jesus goes back and he tells the whole, everyone, which is a little awkward. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't like airing everything that I've done wrong or all my personal stuff, like, to everyone. But he goes back and he's like, hey, I am the naked, demon-possessed guy that lived in the cemetery. Let me tell you what God did for me. He boldly does what Jesus asked him to do, even though Jesus says, you can't go with me. And he doesn't know if he'll ever see Jesus again, but he does what Jesus asked him to do. Now, we think the story's over, but if we're paying attention, it's not over. Fast forward to Mark 7. Months have gone by. We're now in Mark 7. Mark seven thirty one. Mark's sneaky, but if you're paying attention, Mark continues the story. Mark seven thirty one. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the... Decapolis. Sound familiar? He's left Jewish territory. Again, he's gone into Gentile territory. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epitha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Okay, so easy to miss. Jesus goes back to that same area. And remember what happened last time. What happened last time? They told him to leave. They were afraid. They didn't get it. They said, get out. Jesus goes back to that same area and a crowd shows up wanting him to heal people. Why? Because one guy did what Jesus asked him to do. One guy went back and told everyone, there is a Jewish rabbi who healed me, and if you get a chance to see him, your life will never be the same. And he didn't know what was happening. He didn't know if Jesus would ever be back. And months later, Jesus shows up, and Mark doesn't tell us. Like, there's so much that the Gospels leave out, just for, for lack of space. Like, at the end of John, it says there's so many stories that we just don't know about that Jesus did that just didn't make it into the Gospels. But I have to believe that in Mark 7, at some point, Jesus is healing people, and he looks up, and who do you think he sees? The cemetery guy. And they have a moment. I don't know if it's like one of those just eye contact nods, or if it's a bro hug. I don't know what happened. But I bet it was a beautiful moment. Why? Because somebody did what God asked him to do, even though he didn't know why. 
And as we, as we end this series, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Some of you in the room are like, okay, I get God wants us to, but, but I have a lot going on. I don't think by loving people around me, like you don't know my coworkers. If I show them kindness, nothing's going to change. Right? Like there's so many reasons that we have all just to stay living exactly how we're living. There's a reason we're living the way that we're living right now. And here's the challenge. You don't know how God will use your faithfulness in people's lives. You don't know how God will use you showing up and loving the people in your life and simply doing what God has called you to do. Some of you honestly feel like you've just been rejected by God. Some of you feel like the the cemetery man, right when Jesus says, no, you can't follow me, and he gets in his boat and he goes off into the, the sunset, and you're standing on the shore going, what in the world? But you don't know what God can do with your faithfulness simply to show up and love the people in your lives well, to share what God has done for you and to encourage them to encounter their loving Father. We're going to end with a, a song to wrap up our series called We Believe. It's this beautiful, powerful song that we thought would be appropriate to end our series. And I love this line in We Believe. It says, let the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now. Let love invade. Let the church live loud. Our God will say, we believe. The way that we live loud, church, is not through a 40-day campaign. Operation Love Your Neighbor is amazing. We love it. The way that the church lives loud is when you and I go into our daily lives and we love people well. When we go into our daily lives, we expect opportunities, we see them, and we make the most of them. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your goodness. I thank you for the opportunity that we all have to be a part of what you are doing in the world, be a part of your kingdom. Father, I pray this week that you would give us the eyes to see opportunities and the courage to step into them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.